the one and only Gary Hoffman. Gary Hoffman. You know what happened with Shannon Farron. Hope you're ready for the next episode. Hey, Gary and Shannon. Every day. Shannon. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today. Once again, she'll be back tomorrow, of course. No, she's not sick, Blake. She's just uh, she's just in Oakland. Which I am the Marshawn Lynch of radio. Which she's kind of proven herself to be that. She is up early and already doing her uh, prep for the game. Uh, she's already texted me today to, uh, to bag on people because that's what we do early in the morning. And that's what we're going to do between 10 and 2 today. So... Uh, At the bottom of this hour, this is an important thing that I think everybody should hear. You do not have to like Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman from Hawaii running for the Democratic nomination. You don't even have to hate Joy Behar, which is a lot of what uh, a lot of people do anyway. But the the exchange that they had on The View yesterday, thank God I don't watch this thing. It would in, it would enrage me every moment that I saw this. It, this was about three minutes worth of Joy Behar trying to um, trying to I guess suggest that Tulsi Gabbard was an idiot, and uh, it looked really bad for her. We'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, Seattle has changed its police policies when it comes to use of force. The city of Seattle has changed its policies. And it's very similar to what we did here in California in terms of words like necessary, deadly force when necessary in defense of human life. They used necessary, proportionate, reasonable when it comes to use of force. We'll talk about what sort of an impact the Seattle policy has had on policing there and what it might mean when it comes to uh, how it could translate here in California. All right, uh, let's start with this uh, this ongoing story first, though, about Amy Robach, uh, ABC News staffer, longtime 2020 host uh, and reporter, and worked for ABC News for a long time. Ever, I don't think we've had her on the show here, but I know that we have had the opportunity to have her on the show for different topics, et cetera. Well, Amy Robach, back in August, is caught on a hot mic talking about ABC News And the fact that, or her opinion that, ABC News leaders quashed a story about Jeffrey Epstein. This would have been months ago. But she was talking about having the details about all of this for years. It was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. I I tried for three years to get it on to no avail. And now it's all coming out. And it's like these new revelations. And I freaking had all of it. I'm so pissed right now. Like every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my God, we, it was, um, what, what we had was unreal. Now, remember ABC news says the reason that they did not run with the Jeffrey Epstein story at the time, it was based on the interview done with Virginia Jeffrey, one of the women who says that for years she was victimized by this guy and the people close to him. ABC News said the reason they didn't run with it is they did not have enough corroboration with the details of the story to run with it. Think about the stories that they run with on a regular basis when it comes to anonymous sources. 
but they refused to do this with Jeffrey Epstein's story. Now, the um, when when Amy Robach was sort of put to the task here, and ABC probably said to her, "Hey, you're going to need to put out a statement to clean this up." Her response was, well, this was me in a moment of frustration. I was frustrated that the story had not been told by us first and all of the information that came out since then about what an absolute monster Jeffrey Epstein was, was frustrating because we all we had all of this three years ago. And it took a it took a just an absolute hard nosed reporter from the Miami Herald to bring this story back up about a year ago to finally sort of begin to chip away at the the walls, I guess, the fort of safety that had been built around Jeffrey Epstein. So here's today's chapter. The belief is that somebody who used to work for ABC News had access to that tape. Just a, I don't know, quick behind the scenes. If you're going to do an interview with somebody like this, uh, whether it's Amy Robach, whether it's a spokesperson for a law enforcement agency, a politician, whatever it is, you're going to start rolling your tape. You're going to introduce yourself, and then you're going to start the interview. So that gives you a couple of minutes worth of maybe some chit chat, some whatever, how are the kids, that kind of thing, that you as a journalist are not supposed to use. It's kind of an understanding where on the record begins and off the record ends plus in the state of california at least you have to know that you're being recorded for something like that to be used that's why when you call a radio station for example they tell you hey your voice is going to be used live or on on tape whatever that's why in the newsroom here we tell people hey we're going to record this so that we have your permission to do so in this case amy robach on a live camera, mic'd up, knew that there was a chance that she was going to be recorded. And ABC News says they believe one of the people who used to work for them had access to this what out-of-interview footage, basically. And probably that ABC staffer was the one who turned it over to Project Veritas, which is the, uh, the website that published this this week. Well, that ABC News staffer doesn't work for ABC News anymore, but they tracked down that ABC News staffer and that ABC News staffer works for, sorry, worked for CBS until yesterday. ABC went to CBS there in New York and said, we believe that this is the person who leaked the tape. A CBS spokesperson said, oh, uh, yeah, she started working for us recently. We're going to call her in and tell her that she's gone from our job as well. Virginia Jeffrey, by the way, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey, the woman who was interviewed by Amy Robach years ago. She talked about uh, a couple of months ago how pissed off that she was that ABC News did not run with this story. In an email to uh, NPR, she said, I viewed the ABC interview as a potential game changer. Appearing on ABC with its wide viewership would have been the first time for me to speak out against the government for basically looking the other way and to describe the anger and betrayal that victims felt. I don't think this is over. I don't think this this um, this bodes well for the network. I don't think it means anything to Amy Robach. She was clearly frustrated by this. I didn't like the idea that uh, that's how she chalked it up. Oh, it was just a moment of frustration. She wasn't saying things that were untrue. 
she was just frustrated with the possibility that ABC did not believe that her reporting was uh, was tight enough to uh, to put this thing in the uh, in the headlines. All right, when we come back. The latest on the impeachment. There's a, a weird story that came out of the Washington Post last night that the president has been fighting back against. We'll tell you about that and an opportunity for you to win a thousand bucks. We'll tell you how you can do that. Gary and Shannon will continue. If you win that $1,000, they will let you know by a phone call. But if you don't answer the phone call, they'll move on to somebody who will. Uh, just a hot tip, by the way. The number's probably going to be from a 513 area code number. You're going to have another chance an hour from now. In fact, every hour during this show and the John and Ken show, you got a chance to win $1,000 an hour once an hour, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. through 620, right here on KFI. A couple stories that we are following include the uh, the anniversary, if you can believe that. This is the one-year anniversary of the uh, Borderline Bar and Grill shooting in Thousand Oaks. They got a couple of events scheduled today. We'll talk more about that at the top of the hour. Good news about the Kincaid fire burning in Northern California and Sonoma County. They say now that's at 100% containment. Well, the latest on uh, the impeachment goings-on in Washington, D.C. are pretty interesting. There's a couple of different things going on. Number one, an aide to Mike Pence, Jennifer Williams is her name, is testifying in the impeachment inquiry today. Apparently, she was in on that phone call, listened in on the phone call of July 25th between President Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine. John Bolton also was scheduled to testify today. A committee official said that he did not show up. And what's interesting is that the House Intelligence Committee did not issue a subpoena to him. It was just an invitation. They did not issue a subpoena to him, uh, according to a committee official. In a statement that was provided to a news agency, they said, we would welcome John Bolton's deposition. He did not appear as he was requested today. His counsel informed us that unlike three other dedicated public servants who worked for him on the NSC and have compi- uh, complied with the lawful subpoenas, Mr. Bolton would take us to court if we subpoenaed him. So they decided against the subpoena, apparently. Uh, should it go to court, or it would likely lead to a very long extended process that would extend beyond the House impeachment plan, what they have going on, they said that they're looking to wrap this up before the end of the year. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has not said anything publicly about the timeline and has not really said anything to her colleagues about the timeline. So apparently it's still fluid, could continue to evolve. But Democrats have shown that they're moving to try to complete this whole thing, this whole proceeding by Christmas. And if that's the case, I don't think that's the case, by the way. I, I, I find it hard to believe they'd be able to to cram 10 pounds into a five pound bag between now and Christmas. But they say that they would be able to schedule a vote. If not right before Christmas, then right after they come back from their, uh, from their congressional Christmas break. A couple of other things. Um, Donald Trump jr. Apparently tweeted out the name of the alleged anonymous whistleblower. It's not that hard to find by the way. Uh, I mean, Several different news agencies have already published the name that's been connected with the whistleblower. And Donald Trump 
Jr. tweeted the name of a CIA analyst, this same one that's been circulating online for weeks, and it doesn't really it, – it doesn't change the story that much. I mean it does advance this thing that that Republicans are trying to take down the whistleblower protection that this person uh, apparently has as of right now. Intelligence officials also want the director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, to come in and try to protect the whistleblower from Republicans who are leaking his name. Uh, A former uh, retired CIA officer oversaw operations in Europe and Russia said in an interview with NBC, it will be incumbent upon her to protect the whistleblower and by extension, the entire organization of the CIA moving forward and said that this is a seminal moment for her leadership and I'm confident she will do the right thing. So far, so far, Gina Haspel is a name you have not heard in all of this. Even though the president has railed against this whistleblower, in fact, tweeting something along the lines of, there is no whistleblower, there is just someone with an agenda against Donald Trump. He tweeted that earlier this week. So one of the, I don't think Gina Haspel gets involved in this, not publicly. She's not going to come out and make a public statement about all of this. Even though that is the potential, that's what some people have said. And then finally, uh, just another nugget about the impeachment and the ongoing fight about this. President Trump fired back against a Washington Post bombshell from last night. He called it a fake news story about Attorney General William Barr. So the Post reported last night that the president asked the Attorney General to hold a press conference and publicly clear his name, clear his conduct on the Ukraine issue. But that William Barr, the attorney general, refused to do so. Now, the president says, I never, well, he didn't really say he he didn't ask. What he said was that William Barr never refused to do that. The Department of Justice, by the way, did investigate the phone call. The Department of Justice did. And while it didn't say the president should not be impeached, what the Department of Justice said was, The president did not violate campaign finance law when he made his request of President Zelensky of Ukraine. And that's very different because you can still come up with an impeachable offense. You could come up with an impeachable offense in Congress without violating campaign finance laws. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk more about that at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. When we come back, though, I wanted to, to play for you. A confrontation last uh, from yesterday, as a matter of fact, on The View of all places. And there's a horrific suggestion that Joy Behar makes of a pr- candidate for president. I'll play this for you and why it is that Tulsi Gabbard scored points in my book for putting up with this. Gary and Shanna will continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon, Thursday, November 7th, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. A couple stories that we are following. At the top of the hour, we're going to give you an idea of what's going on in Thousand Oaks today. A couple of different ceremonies, dedications, memorials for the families of 11 patrons from within the Borderline Bar and Grill were killed a year ago. And then, of course, the Ventura County Sheriff's Deputy. Sergeant Ron Helis, actually, who was killed as well. 
We'll talk about that coming up. The Saudi government uh, says uh, is saying they didn't do this, but the Saudi government is accused of carrying out an effort to recruit employees to at Twitter to look up private information of Twitter accounts, including email addresses linked to those accounts and IP addresses, which can pretty much tell your physical location. I guess the accounts included those of a popular critic of the Saudi government with more than a million followers, a news personality as well. And then convoys of vehicles carrying the relatives of those nine Americans killed in northern Mexico. Those convoys are given a military escort now to attend the funerals of some of those victims. Those first funerals are today. They have dozens of SUVs and high-riding pickups. A lot of them came in from the United States overnight at the La Mora religious community in Sonora where those uh, victims lived. Well, this may be a record. Um, I think later in the show we're going to play a little bit more about today's The View. Because if you can't get enough whoopee in your day, why then I can help you. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard got into a pretty testy exchange yesterday with Joy Behar. And it's going to blow you away. It blows me away how rude Joy Behar is to a sitting member of Congress in this whole thing. And I'll I'll start. I'm going to play for you. It's about three minutes long, this exchange. I may stop it in the middle because I want to point something out. But um, but Joy Behar is uh, is taking issue with, or I should say responding to, that Hillary Clinton quote from a couple of weeks ago where Hillary Clinton, without naming Tulsi Gabbard, pointed a finger at Tulsi Gabbard and said she's probably an, a Russian asset, maybe an unwitting Russian asset. Here's Whoopi with the introduction from yesterday. Uh, let me play that. I got to turn that up just a second. And Blake, are we ready? Yeah, I know we're ready. With Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. So, you know, I just want to straighten a couple of things out. I've ne- she didn't even get to say hello before Joy Behar jumped in, okay? With Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. So, you know, I just want to straighten a couple of things out. I've never said, and I don't think Hillary Clinton thinks that you're a witting asset. You might be an unwitting asset. Not that that means you're stupid, but people can be used. Well, that, that's exactly what okay. it means, though. That's exactly thing, what it means. The other means. thing that confuses me, wait, I have one more question. You're on state TV all the time. Why do you go on Fox, TV? Fox Channel, which is a She's propaganda? That's a good point. I don't know what the first question was, she did, but this was the second question. So even if there was a first question, she didn't get to answer it. She wants to ask a second question before her Ronald McDonald hair falls off. A propaganda audience. network, 16 times with Tucker Carlson. I never see you with Chris Wallace or, or that other guy, which is named Brett Baer. Well, Why aren't you on with them? They're definitely middle of the road. Why do you go on with Tucker, who's a liar? And, and a propagandist. So l- let me start with um, how offensive it is to say that I am a witting or unwitting asset of a foreign country working against the interests of our people and our country, the not country that I am willing to lay my life down for. So if you're saying it's not deliberately, then you are implying it could be. that I am too stupid and too naive and lack the intelligence no. to know what I am doing. Can you, that can is I extremely get, offensive. Can I get you to put the- okay, now that, they're going to pause here for a second because Whoopi's going to interrupt them and, and put up Hillary Clinton's quote. But that's an incredible point right there that Tulsi Gabbard makes. And by the way, she does not reach over and slap those stupid shaded glasses off of Joy Behar's head. What she says is, you're accusing me of being an idiot because you're suggesting that I'm unwittingly being used by the Russians in an attempt to subvert the election. Now, 
the 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 problem there's a couple of problems here. First of all, Joy Behar assuming that because Tulsi Gabbard goes on Fox, she must be a moron. If you're going to win the Democratic nomination, you appeal to Democrats. But if you're going to win the White House, you have to appeal to everybody. She goes on and explains that a little bit later as well, where she's talking about, I don't plan to be a president for Democrats. I have to be a president for the entire country. She makes perfect sense there. Joy Behar and her stupid glasses cannot figure that we out. Quote up, you guys put color. the quote back up because I think everyone is sort of missed right. something. You don't have to hear that. That's Whoopi, and she's trying to uh, she's trying to explain that Hillary Clinton wasn't really referring to Tulsi Gabbard; she was referring to Jill Stein. But Hillary Clinton spokespeople say she was absolutely referring to Tulsi Gabbard. Here's farther into the interview. They never named her. She's talking, assuming Jill Stein will give it up, Why but she might not because she's yeah. also I, I, a Russian I mean, this, this, this was, was after that yeah. quote was made, right. media across spectrums Went were bizarre. reporting about... What Hillary Clinton just said mm-hmm. about Tulsa. I, I, I want to, I just, I, you, yeah. you raised a second go issue about why yes. I go on Fox News. Yeah. I go on Tucker Carlson, go on Brett Baer, go on Sean Hannity, go on MSNBC, go on CNN. I am here to speak to every single American in this country about the unifying leadership that I want to bring as president. Not just speak to those who agree with me. Nice to think that but, that's what speak with Okay. You it may have been lost in the applause there. Joy Behar says, well, it's nice to, to, to think that that could happen. How else is it going to happen? Ignoring half of the country? Ignoring these different outlets that may have a different philosophical background than you do? How, that doesn't make any sense that she's she's suggesting that, jo- that uh, Tulsi Gabbard ignore those audiences. Those who may disagree with me, recognizing that I'm asking for the opportunity to serve every single person in this country. We have to come together Joy, you for our country Fox. and our country's future. You used they to become outrageous. They lie all the time. I think the reason why you so many Republicans respond to this you is, is because McCain. you don't treat us like we're garbage. You, you actually care about the audience and care about reaching out, which to a lot of conservatives, which by the way, you're going to have to win them over to get to the White House yeah. one way or another is important. And I think just negating all of Fox's audience, I called Elizabeth Warren to task on it. Not their audience. I'm on the show. about Tucker Carlson right well, now. Sean Hannity. there to speak to the Two audience. Two liars. They, 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 both, right they both have some of the largest audiences on television yeah. today. But I do want to ask you something else. Come uh, she goes on. Abby Huntsman was the, was the last person there. And Abby Huntsman was actually the one who said to Joy Behar, you used to go on Fox all the time. Now, Joy Behar did it because she was a comedian at the time. I don't know how anybody would find her funny, but she was a comedian and she was promoting stuff. She was promoting her shows and books, etc. The idea that you would suggest that Tulsi Gabbard, first of all, doesn't care enough or is too idiotic to understand when she was being used by a foreign government. Joy Behar should be ashamed of herself. She's never going to be. She's never going to acknowledge that. She's never going to acknowledge that she insulted a sitting member of Congress like that because it's in her. She just doesn't. She doesn't like the idea that Tulsi Gabbard may appeal to some middle-of-the-road Republicans or moderate Democrats, then she just can't stand that fact. And all she did was sit back and throw the bomb that Tucker Carlson is a liar or Sean Hannity is a liar. Absolutely weak. Tulsi Gabbard should have punched her in the nose. That's all. Speaking of orangutans, there was a, uh, an orangutan who was uh, granted personhood. And has chosen a neighborhood to live in. We'll tell you where that neighborhood is. You can 
wave to your orangutan neighbor soon. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Tonight, uh, Chargers are in Oakland, 520 kickoff. You'll hear right here on KFI, and that's where Shannon is today, getting ready for that game. At the top of the hour, we're going to talk more about the anniversary of the Borderline Bar and Grill shooting in Thousand Oaks. That was today, November 7th, a year ago. It was late at night, and a lot of people remember the uh, the eighth as being the day that we found out about it. But in fact, the shooting took place uh, before midnight. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Is the anniversary of the Woolsey fire? It's also the anniversary of the con- uh, the campfire up in Northern California that was so destructive. We'll also uh, next hour talk a little bit about this story out of Seattle. They have changed their use of force policy for police officers in the city. And it's similar to the language that we have now adopted in the state of California. So we'll talk about how it's affected their use of force incidents in Seattle and whether we might be able to interpret how things are going to happen here in California. Do you remember the story of Sandra? She was an orangutan. She became the first non-human animal recognized as a person in a court of law. It was weird. I mean, that's just, it's weird. This ruling in 2015 out of uh, Argentina, uh, just a quick, just a quick biography, I guess, or orangutography. I don't know what she was born in a, a zoo in East Germany in 1986. And she went from the the zoo in Germany to a zoo to in Buenos Aires. She had a baby girl who went to a zoo in China in 2008. And part of of what sort of rose, uh, lifted Sandra to prominence was when they tried to mate her with a male orangutan, they said she preferred to sit outside in the rain and snow. I've known people like that, I suppose. And a couple of decades ago, they decided that they were going to fight on her behalf. An association of officials and lawyers for animal rights asked Argentine courts for the, at the time, Sandra was 28, to grant her freedom from what they said was unjust imprisonment. And that appeals court declared that she was a non-human person. Not that she deserved all human rights, not full human rights, just a few basic ones because orangutans, chimpanzees, the great apes are so similar to humans. Well, Sandra's now 33 years old, and she has moved. Where? Florida. And the IQ just went up four points. Sandra is very sweet and inquisitive and adjust, uh, adjusting to her new home, according to Patty Reagan, director of the center in Wachula, Florida. She was shy when she first arrived a couple of days ago, but uh, Patty said that once she saw the swings, the toys, the grassy areas in her new home, she went out to explore. And she met her caregivers. This is the first time in over a decade that Sandra's had the opportunity to meet other orangutans, and she will meet them when she chooses. It's a new freedom for her and one that we are grateful to provide. 
when the judge in Argentina declared that Sandra was legally not an animal, but a non-human person, Sandra was entitled to some legal rights that are enjoyed by people, including better living conditions. She didn't have to live in the zoo. And she, being the judge, not Sandra, she told the Associated Press, I wanted to tell society something new, that animals are sentient beings and that the first right they have is our obligation to respect them. Now, what do you do with an orangutan who's not an animal but is a non-human person? Do you know what they did with her? They left her in the zoo. Because what else do they have? Well, the zoo closed in 2016, but they didn't have any other place for her, so she stayed in this closed-down zoo. Late September, she was finally flown into the United States, was actually at a zoo in uh, Kansas, Sedgwick County Zoo in Kansas, for, for quarantine for a month before they took her over to Florida. At this center in Florida, this Wachula Center in Florida, Center for Great Apes, she will join 21 other orangutans, 31 chimpanzees that have either been rescued or retired from circuses, stage shows, and the exotic pet trade. As far as I understand, she's the only one who's been declared not an animal, a non-human person, is what the judge said from Argentina. All right, when we come back, the uh, update, one-year anniversary of the borderline bar and grill shooting from... Thousand Oaks. We'll talk about what's going on today. And also the uh, city that did not burn in the campfire and what it is that Chico is doing to adjust to its new way of life. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Anytime on the iHeartRadio app, you can go back and listen to our podcasts. Just download that iHeartRadio app and in that search bar, type in Gary and Shannon. You'll see uh, all of our shows up there. A couple stories that we've been following. The funerals begin today for those uh, nine Americans killed in northern Mexico. Members of the Mexican National Guard have been providing military escorts for members of the families of the victims as they make their way to the funerals there in Sonora State. President Trump says that the story that he asked Attorney General William Barr to hold a press conference to clear his name on the uh, Ukraine deal is fake news. He said that the president, um, uh, the story says the president asked William Barr to come out and say that he did nothing illegal, but that the attorney general refused. And uh, the president said he never refused to do so. Didn't say he didn't ask him. He just said that Attorney General didn't refuse. The DOJ did look into that phone call, by the way, with Ukraine's president. And all they said was that the president did not violate campaign finance law when he made a request of President Zelensky of Ukraine. 11 o'clock at night, November 7th, 2018, was the borderline bar and grill shooting in Thousand Oaks. And we'll see today a series of memorials, dedications, etc. 
in memory of the 11 people who were killed inside the bar. Sergeant Ron Helis, the 12th person who was killed when he responded to the shooting inside the bar. In fact, yesterday, a 3.4-mile stretch of the 101 freeway was designated the Sergeant Ronald Lee Helis Memorial Highway. Between, it's, uh, between Hampshire Road and Lynn Road, right alongside the Borderline Bar. And Sergeant Helis's actions were credited with helping save almost 250 people who did make it out of the bar alive. And for those who worked with him, his bravery wasn't a surprise. Uh, one of the sergeants with the Ventura County Sheriff's Office, Greg Webb, said he's a warrior, definitely a hero in our minds, and the community's really been there to support Ron and his endeavors and what he meant that night. Uh, Sergeant Helis's wife, Karen, was listening to the events unfold on a phone app that monitors police radio traffic. And what's weird is she says she didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on. She knew that he was responding to the report of a shooting at a bar, but she said, as it progressed, I heard him and more and more was happening. I got anxious and nervous. And then they said they were making entry. And I thought, ah, don't, don't go in there. And she says, but I knew that he would. That was just him. He wasn't going to let those people be hurt if he could help it. The story about it is, of course, that he was shot by the gunman in there, but the, the fatal bullet ended up being from a CHP officer who was behind him. It was an accidental shooting. Today, a little bit later, they are going to dedicate an area called the Healing Garden a little bit later this afternoon. And one of the things they're doing is little paver stones are going to be put in that healing garden and people have been allowed to write messages to the people that they lost and they will be included in that healing garden. A little bit later today, I think it's about 3 o'clock this afternoon, gates will open at 2.30 at the Conejo Creek Park on East Jans Road there in Thousand Oaks. And I told you that Karen Helis, the widow of Sergeant Helis, wrote a message to her husband telling him that he was her hero and that she and the couple's son, Jordan, miss him every day. She said she wants her husband of 29 years to be remembered for the hero that he was that night, how selfless and how brave he was to go in and save so many people. We have talked before about the young people who were cut down in the prime of their life a year ago. And there's really no way that we would be able to memorialize the 11 people in the bar who were, who were killed in any good way that would sort of flesh out who it is that they were. But just a couple of them. Gladys Kosak lost her brother. Her brother Dan was a Marine veteran who dedicated his life to supporting other military vets after they were discharged from service, and she said the reality of losing her brother is still sinking in a year later. And Gladys said we still have moments when we grab our phones to text him or we expect him to come through the door, and sometimes we go to order food and say, well, wait, there's one missing. And she said, those are the moments that you don't even see it coming. Gladys and her family put a paver in the healing garden back on the 2nd of November, and they wrote Semper Fi. They drew an American flag on the back. 
And his four-year-old niece, Sophia, drew some pictures of ladybugs. Lori and Dan Dingman said their 21-year-old son, Blake, was a fun-loving goofball, loved to make people laugh, and he was always a true friend, had an ear to listen, was never too busy to offer help. And she said she and her husband can't believe that a year has passed without one of his incredible hugs, his bright, warm smile, or the loving notes that he left around the house. She said there's a date stamp in our office that I stamp the mail with each day, and each day I turn that dial, it brings tears. Another day without our handsome ginger. Another day we don't hear his laugh or his loud truck coming down the street. Kathy Dunham also lost a son. Her son, Jake, had a bunch of physical obstacles. He was a hemophiliac. He lost sight in one eye at the age of seven. But no one would ever know because that's not what he talked about, she said. He lived his life for his family and his friends and his motorcycles and his trucks. Jake lived for today and lived his short life to the fullest in his 21 years. Michael wants his daughter, Christina, to be remembered for her big smile. Mark said that his son, Tell, became an Eagle Scout at 17. He said, I want to mean something to other people more than myself. Tell was one of those guys who was credited with shielding other people just so that they could get out of the bar safely. Again, there will be a series of events today. The big one is going to be this dedication of the Healing Garden on Conejo Creek Park North. Again, 315 is when the ceremony itself starts. If you're going to go... They say that parking spots will be limited, obviously, whatever's there at the park. It's not intended to hold a ceremony this large. But if you get there and the park is full, the parking spots, you'll be directed to Conejo Creek South where you can catch a shuttle and get there and watch this whole thing. The investigation, by the way, not complete. I mean, we're a year later and the agencies that are doing the investigation say they are – They are close to closing the chapter on that. Sheriff's Department uh, spokesperson said that we are in the final stages. The one thing the sheriff doesn't want to do is put information out prematurely. And if you remember, Sheriff Bill Ayub, who took the office two days after the shooting, he hasn't really released any new details about this whole thing outside of doing a pair of joint press conferences with other agencies late last year. And he says they're not going to release anything until the Ventura County District Attorney's Office completes the review. That won't begin until the Sheriff's Department closes its chapter. Uh, The FBI has been involved in this investigation as well. They are only looking at it really as a way to kind of put together some sort of a profile. They're, They're looking at it through the behavioral analysis glasses, trying to study mass shooters. FBI spokesperson said it's basically an info-gathering mission on each of these incidents, and the more we can learn, the more we can prevent future shootings. Again, November 7th, one year ago today, was the shooting at the Thousand Oaks Bar and Grill, the the borderline bar and grill in Thousand Oaks. And those uh, ceremonies, dedications, memorials, a lot of them will be underway today. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about the fires that started a day later, not just the Woolsey fire that also impacted Thousand Oaks, but the campfire up in Northern California. When we come back, I want to talk about Chico, the city close to paradise, the biggest city closest to paradise, and how they have had to deal with the aftermath of the paradise fire.
We also have a chance at a thousand bucks. We'll tell you how you can win that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app, and that $1,000 could be yours. You have to answer the phone to pick up $1,000, even if it is from a number you don't recognize. There will be another chance an hour from now, about 20 minutes after, just like this one, and then the hour after that, and the hour after that. From 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call, or this week, Rixie and Wake Up Call, all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show, we give away $1,000 an hour, an hour here on KFI. A little bit later, we're going to talk about this uh, this Saudi government plot, it looks like, to carry out an effort to recruit employees at Twitter to look up the private information of Twitter accounts, um, the people who own those Twitter accounts, email addresses, IP addresses, etc. The big news about the IP address is that it could literally give you a physical location on someone, at least where it is that they were using the Internet. News out of uh, Northern California, the Kincaid Fire in Sonoma County's wine country fully contained. Cal Fire says it destroyed 174 homes, 200 other buildings, but it's 100% contained. PG&E does remember. They do say that that's probably one of theirs. Um, Oh, and tomorrow, tomorrow, Friday show, right at the beginning of the show, some big stuff going on here. And... I am I'm thankful that we've been able to keep it a secret even from the people within the building because there are different rumors about what exactly we're going to be doing tomorrow and how it is that we're going to start our show tomorrow. So I'll just say this, we will probably we will probably not be suspended based on the reactions that I've seen so far. But we are willing to be suspended if necessary. All right. It was a year ago tomorrow that the campfire started just south of Paradise and then blew through that community and some other smaller communities, killing 85 people, destroying 19,000 buildings. And Paradise up on the hill is separated by just a couple of miles from the city of Chico. Yes, that's where I went to school. I still have relatives in Chico. My sister lives there. Brother-in-law lives there. And nothing burned in the city of Chico. But everybody from Paradise went to Chico. I mean, some of them went to Oroville. A couple of people went to Biggs, maybe even Gridley. Hey, Corning, I'm looking at you. But within hours, hotels in Chico were filled. People moved their trailers into parking lots in Chico. The Walmart parking lot in Chico became a tent city for a couple of weeks. People were sleeping on friends' couches. They bought up every available home, apartment, and spare room in the city of Chico. And a year later, almost all of them are still there. State officials estimate that the city of Chico added 20,000 people. That's a more than a 20% increase in population. They were at 92,000. Right now they say they're more than 112,000. And this is the problem. It's um, One of the city council members says, listen, this is just us being a good neighbor, but there is a cost that goes with it. The city officials there in Chico say that they need close to a half a billion, with a B, 
half a billion dollars to improve the infrastructure, to hire enough police officers, to hire enough firefighters to cover the surge in people. But because they were outside of the burn area, remember, nothing in Chico burned. They're not eligible for state emergency funds. They're not eligible for federal disaster funds. The most that the city of Chico has gotten to handle the 20,000 people who came in from Paradise, the most, $3 million. And they say they're going to need $500 million. I mean, on its face, you've got housing shortages, right? I mean, you've got homes that were going for $240,000 that immediately went up by $100,000. There's more traffic. Clearly, there's more people. About three weeks after the fire, the sewer system in Chico was handling an additional million gallons of goo. That would be the equivalent of adding 5,000 new homes to the sewer system in the city of Chico. Still, still, they were hoping that that million gallons of effluent would go away, right? Still today, they're handling... About 60% of that, an extra 600,000 gallons a day from the fire survivors. So that runs the city a bill of about $53,000 per month, and that's money they simply do not have. That area of Northern California had four hospitals before the fire. Feather River Hospital, where my sister delivered her babies, it closed after the fire. It has not reopened. Enloe Medical Center, the bigger one, the one in Chico, has seen an extra 700 patients per month since the fire. And they've had to add seven around-the-clock nursing shifts to keep up. The problem is they're having trouble filling those nursing positions because potential employees can't find any place to live because of the thousands of people who came down the hill from Paradise to live in Chico. But even before the fire... Even before the fire, sales vacancy rate was below 1% for homes. There are a couple of people who have relocated, a couple of people who have moved from Paradise to Chico. But like Laura Smith says, we are in Chico, but we're Paradise residents. And she says there's something different about us, separate. Well, you lived in Paradise. You lived up in the mountains. I mean... It's not that far out of town, but still, you lived amongst the trees. Governor Newsom has signed a law designed to speed up construction of new housing by temporarily suspending the environmental review process for a fire-affected area. But that doesn't include Chico. That does not include Chico. And while I think it's a, a whole nine homes have been rebuilt in Paradise since that fire, I know it takes a while, but nine They do have permits for a few hundred more. The mayor of Chico, Mayor Randall Stone, says he has plans and some other actions to address the housing crisis, including adjusting fees for developers so that they build more affordable housing. But he said, in all honesty, he's proud of Chico for coming together to help. Well, what else are you going to do? You're going to put up roadblocks and not allow people to come down the skyway? An executive director of the North Valley Community Foundation, $27 million in grants that have been given since the fire, says, I don't think we know what the new normal is, but we're figuring out how to take care of everybody. I think we have a heart and a will to do that. 
There are a, a couple things going on. Um, we're going to look to other locations to see how things might be done in California. For example, in Seattle, they have limited police use of force. We'll talk about how it's working out and why it's important because it mirrors pretty closely what it is that we did to change laws in California. And also Las Vegas. Las Vegas has finally made it illegal for homeless people to sleep on the streets downtown. We'll talk about why that's important as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today on her way to, well, she's in Oakland right now, getting ready for tonight's Chargers game against the Raiders. Kickoff is at uh, 520 tonight. Uh, Interesting story out of the Democratic uh, race for the nomination. We'll talk more about this in Swamp Watch, but a top aide to Tom Steyer, you know, the billionaire from here in California, has apparently been offering local politicians campaign contributions in exchange for endorsements of Tom Steyer. The overtures came from a guy named Pat Murphy, Steyer's Iowa director. No evidence that any candidates in Iowa accepted the offer or even received any contributions. Murphy didn't respond to requests for a comment from Iowa, but the campaign saying, we would never pay that money for an endorsement. That'd be crazy. Uh, national former national security advisor John Bolton was a no show today for the interview with the impeachment investigators. So it's uh, unlikely that he's going to provide any testimony to the House about the president's handling of Ukraine. An attorney for John Bolton said his client had not received a subpoena, which is apparently what he was waiting for so that he could then go to court and uh, and make sure that the courts had their say. Not too long ago, state of California changed its rules when it comes to police use of force. And Seattle had already done that. Seattle, the city, has already done that. And we're looking to Seattle to see if there's anything we can learn about the way that they changed their use of force policy for police officers and if it's going to have any impact or any, if there's anything we can read in the tea leaves about how it might change policing here in California. Okay, so in the city of Seattle, they say they have reduced their use of moderate and lethal levels of force by police officers by 60%. That includes shootings. And any other any other thing that could cause injuries, like use of a taser or a baton. And this reduction in the use of force followed this bunch of changes at the police department, including improved de-escalation training, a more robust use of force policy. For example, the use of force policy for the Seattle Police Department already included the word necessary. But because of a court order, it got more detailed. So the policy in Seattle is officers can only use force that is reasonable, necessary, and proportionate to bring a situation under control while protecting the lives of officers and others. Okay? 
Reasonable, necessary, and proportionate force is what you can use if you're a police officer in the city of Seattle. That is similar to what we passed here in California, or I should say what was passed here in California and signed into law. That takes effect in a couple of months. Officers can only use deadly force when, quote, necessary in defense of human life. A person for the ACLU who advocated for our new law said that Seattle's experience provides a pretty good indication of what we can expect. And he said a policy that restricts force to situations where it's necessary, keyword, can reduce uses of force and to do so safely. And he says, I think that should hold true in California. Listen, this has not erased police shootings in Seattle. They still happen. In fact, some of them have been very controversial still. And there has not been a police officer in the city of Seattle involved in those shootings that's faced any criminal prosecution in the seven years since this law took place, since this new rule went into effect. Police are still more likely to use force on people of color than white people in Seattle. The federal judge that oversees the Seattle Police Department has criticized the appeals process. That allows officers to be rehired even after they've been disciplined or fired for misconduct. Seattle police rehired an officer, by the way, who had been fired for punching a handcuffed woman in the face. Although activists and police officials say they have learned to work together. They have better record keeping that provides information on which officers are using which type of force. It is important to point out that Seattle does not have the same proportion of police shootings that that we do in California. The rate of deadly police shootings is lower than San Francisco. It's lower than L.A. It's lower than Sacramento, Fresno or San Jose. And more importantly, it, it suggests that that police agencies, law enforcement agencies can change in ways that do make the public safer, safer without putting officers in greater danger. This is the crux of all of it, though. We're changing in January. Remember, January, the law takes effect that says that police officers in California can only use deadly force when necessary in defense of human life. How are you going to get into a police officer's brain and determine when it's necessary or not? Because... You can point to any number of officer-involved shootings, lethal or not, when the police officers who were involved, the ones who shot their weapons, believed that it was necessary to do so in defense of human life. We don't do the old 1940s, stop or I'll shoot. Nobody does that anymore. They're not going to shoot a guy running away. They're going to shoot a guy that they believe is leveling a weapon at them or at someone else. And the idea that, that, that people put a lot of, lot of faith into a new law where that adds a word like necessary. And as important as that word is when it comes to the law, it's not going to change a whole lot. It's not going to mean that officers are going to go to prison for what they do. Because if they can say... I felt it was necessary. 
that's enough of a legal defense for the most part. The other thing is police officers on the street, the ones in Seattle, which I can't imagine being a cop in Seattle these days. But some of the people in some of the cops in Seattle say, yeah, my brothers and sisters in blue here, uh, they're blowing it. They're not using force or they're hesitating to use force because these words, reasonable, necessary, proportionate, all of the training that they're going, it's rattling around in their head and they're not reacting in the moment. They're overthinking things. And when you overthink things, when someone's pointed a gun at you or someone else, you don't have time. One of the uh, bike officers in Seattle says they don't use enough force when enough force is needed. And even if they're hit, they do not respond appropriately. There are officers that are real worried that you're going to become the center of media attention based on one decision. And that moment of hesitation is what it's going to take. And you're going to see people killed. Well, Seattle's not the only one that's uh, doing things that we can take a look at. Vegas. Vegas has finally voted to make it illegal for homeless people to sleep on the streets downtown. We'll talk about why that's important in California when we come back to the Gary and Shannon Show. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We'll do our uh, trending stories right at the top of the hour, those stories that are circulating the most right now on social media. And then get into the story about John Christ. I don't know if everybody knows his name, but if you've been anywhere on Facebook uh, or Instagram, whatever, chances are you've seen his videos. I guess, I guess the easiest description is Christian comedian, that way to put it. Uh, guess what? He was being not so nice and getting a little sexy. Why? What did, what did I do? Blake told me to check my email. I gotta see. Mm-hmm. Oh. Report of a crash of a airplane into a house in Upland. That was the one. Okay. I'll keep an eye on that and see if I can find some more information on that. I want to tell you about Las Vegas. Las Vegas has now voted to make it illegal for homeless people to sleep on the streets downtown. This is not on the this is not on the strip. There's not a lot of homeless people. The casino simply won't won't stand for that. Um the people who spoke in the city council meeting yesterday, most of them spoke out against this law. And the measure only applies to the downtown urban core, not the Strip. Mayor Carolyn Goodman sponsored the measure and said this is imperfect. She admits that this is flawed, but it's necessary to deal with what officials and downtown business owners characterize as a homeless crisis. She says this is a start. We have been having these conversations for 20 years, and now we must have results. I, um... 
the circuit Ninth Circuit struck down that law from Boise, Idaho last year, said it was unconstitutional to prosecute people for sleeping in public places when there aren't enough shelter beds. So what they did in Vegas was say you cannot sleep on the street when there are available beds at the shelters. The critics of this say that the city will just simply not have enough shelter space when necessary. So it's kind of a, it doesn't matter because there won't be room and therefore these people should be allowed to sleep on the streets. The law provides for warnings by officers beginning Sunday, by the way, any for anybody found camping, lodging, sitting, lying down, sleeping, and similar activities in most downtown areas. Again, it starts on Sunday, but they say they're not going to even punish it, uh, punish anyone. I think it's until February. It won't be enforced until February 1st. A reverend from the First African Methodist Episcopal Church in North Vegas, director of the Faith Organizing Alliance, says this is criminalizing the homeless. The war on the poor has got to go, they protested. If we can build stadiums, then we can build housing for the homeless. Referring, of course, to the new Raiders stadium. Taxpayers are putting in $750 million into this project through hotel room taxes. City officials, however, said that they have spent more than $35 million on homeless-related services last year, including outreach, fire, police, community services. Hey, guess who's against the ban? Just about every one of the uh, 2020 contenders to be the Democratic nominee. Ulian Castro says this ordinance won't help reduce homelessness. It will criminalize it. Push, punishing desperation isn't good policy. It's short-sighted and it's cruel. Everybody else, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, they all slam the law. Elizabeth Warren said it caters to the interests of business groups rather than our families and our communities. Stop right there. What Elizabeth Warren is saying is that our families and our communities want to walk over people who are sleeping in the streets. That's the way I read that. This ordinance caters to the interests of business groups rather than our families and our communities. How many of our families want to see the homeless population increase? How many of our communities want to see the homeless population increase? This is a way for Las Vegas to help get these people the services that they need. I don't know if they want it. But making it a misdemeanor for someone to sleep or camp on the street when a shelter bed is available means that some of these people get connected with services that they otherwise wouldn't get or don't want and if they don't want services they do not get to sleep wherever they want that's the hard part that's the hard uh unfortunate reality of uh, a society you cannot just offer someone services they say no and you walk away and allow them to pitch a tent at fifth and broadway Even, again, the mayor, this, the sponsor of this bill, this, this law that goes into effect, she says she knows it's flawed, but it is a start. I don't know if it lasts. I don't know what court challenges we're going to see and whether or not it makes its way through the court. This is something that's got to happen. You've got to be able to move people 
because they're not doing it voluntarily. You've got to move people into getting connected with services that can help them. And part of the way you do that is if there are shelter beds available, you've got to get them off the street. Why don't they want to go into a shelter? Is it because the rules? Is it because they can't sleep with their favorite needle stuck in their arm or because they can't bring a pet? Whatever it is, you got to get somebody into a service, get them connected with a service that they may or may not want, but that can change their life for the good. And that's just in Vegas. We'll see if it ever happens here. We come back trending. We'll get into Swamp Watch. Mark Saltzman's going to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. Some good strange science stories, including that James Dean coming back to a theater near you. All of that is still coming up on The Gary and Shannon Show. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on a football Thursday. Chargers are in Oakland to take on the Raiders tonight. That's where Shannon is. She's uh, kickoff is at 520. She'll be on the sidelines for the game tonight. You heard Layla mention this, and we're just trying to get some more information, but a small plane crashed into this home in Upland. Started a fire. Uh, Firefighters were on a neighbor's house standing on the roof and pouring water onto this fire put it out pretty quickly but at this point um amazingly i should say it doesn't appear that anybody was hurt inside this home i guess there were people home at the time and were able to get out of it out of, outside the home it's at the uh, 1200 block of west overland court uh the uh, people inside the home were reportedly uninjured according to channel 7 the condition of the pilot not immediately released but there was a parachute they said that may have been stuck in a nearby palm tree I don't know if there was a parachute maybe that the pilot was using or if it was one of those parachutes that uh, is designed to bring the plane down safely. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that and bring you more information as we get it. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Uh, one of the trending stories today happens to be just the latest legal fight for President Trump. Uh, according to a New York State judge, The president has to pay a $2 million judgment for improperly using the Trump Foundation charity to further his presidential campaign. This is uh, supposed to bring to an end the attorney general's lawsuit, state of New York's attorney general, against the president, three of his oldest children over the now uh, the foundation that has since been shuttered. The attorney general said that the foundation was engaged in repeated wrongdoing. Unlawful coordination with the presidential campaign, repeated and willful self-dealing, and a lot more. Uh, Attorney General Barbara Underwood said in that statement last year, she's been since uh, replaced. But again, this is a $2 million judgment. I don't know if you can appeal it at that point, but uh, if they can, I guarantee they will. Speaking of the president's kids, The View is trending once again today. Earlier today, I played for you yesterday's big kerfuffle between Joy Clownhair Behar and uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Well, guess who was on the show today? Donald Trump uh, Trump Jr. was on the show today alongside his girlfriend, former Fox News host Kimberly Kimberly Guilfoyle. Uh, And what they are saying is 
it was such a contentious interview, uh, if you want to call it an interview, that Whoopi Goldberg turned to the audience at one point and said, the booing is effing us up. It's messing with everyone's mic. You can grimace and all that, but all we hear is booing. Whoopi was trying to restore a sense of calm and civility after the first interview segment with DJT and his uh, and his girlfriend. Booing is a no-no for members of the show's audience, they said. But the crowd Thursday alternately booed and cheered as Donald and Kimberly clashed with members of the show's cast, including Meghan McCain at one point. Because, listen, Meghan McCain has no love lost for the president or the president's family because the president was, uh, in all honesty, an a-hole to John McCain. And Meghan McCain confronted Donald Trump Jr. about that and basically said, why does your family like hurting people? And he apologized. He apologized to his, on his – we'll actually play for you some parts of that because it's important. It's, it's worthwhile. And if nothing else, it's damn entertaining. We'll do that in Swamp Watch. Uh, locally, USC has decided to hire Mike Bone as the new athletic director about two months after Lynn Swan resigned. They announced uh, the hiring today. He spent the last five years as the AD at the University of Cincinnati, also been an AD at Colorado, San Diego State, and Idaho. So he's been getting around which is good. 58-year-old Bone is the first athletic director at USC with no ties to the school since 1993. Remember Mike Garrett, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan? They were all former Trojan football players. They all had zero experience when it comes to athletic administration. And all three of them left with the department stinking like a dirty, dirty Diaper. And then an elderly man in Hawaii. This is the weird story. Uh, This is why lava tube is trending. Hawaii Island police respond to a residence in Hilo at about 830 in the morning Monday following a report that an elderly male had not been seen or heard from in several days. When they go into his backyard, they see the equipment that he was out there probably, I guess, trimming back some of his trees. And they found an area of soft ground. And a hole in his backyard that they figured out was a lava tube. That's a giant underground river, basically, a channel that is formed by lava flowing beneath the surface. When the lava finally stops flowing, that leaves a giant hollow cave, which can often be big enough for people to walk through or, in this case, fall into. The fire department rescue personnel showed up. They rappelled down the lava tube in the man's backyard and discover the old guy's body about 22 feet below the surface. They said they still have not yet identified him. An autopsy will be performed on him to make sure that he died of the injuries from the long fall. And, I don't know, not that somebody pushed him or or poisoned him and then put him in a lava tube. Okay, whatever. When we come back, John Christ, um, longtime comedian, may have seen some of his stuff on Facebook or Instagram or other social media or YouTube even. Um, best described, I would say, as a Christian comedian. Well, guess what he did? He has publicly admitted to repeated inappropriate relationships and tre- uh, treatment of women. Uh, there were accusations of sexual misconduct from at least five women And he's falling on the sword. We'll talk about this when we come back. Also, we have a chance for you to win $1,000. Ooh, and a reminder that we finally have our date for this year's 
Pastathon. We have December. Let me see. Make sure I have the right one. It's December 6th. Christ Cathedral and Garden Grove, once again, if you're a teacher, you want to mobilize your students to collect donations of pasta and sauce or a, a business owner or an organization or a club or just a bunch of neighbors, whatever it is, get together, start collecting those donations. We're going to have all the details coming out soon about where you can donate it, exactly how we're going to be working it that day at Christ Cathedral and Garden Grove. Um, it's We know, we know, John is probably going to wear at least a robe. I think last time they got Deborah to wear a meat sweatshirt, not real meat, but a meat looking sweatshirt. And we're all going to be out there. We'll do all of the shows live that day. Again, the KFI Postathon to benefit Katarina's Club. Friday, December 6th, Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove. We'll love to see you out there. Got my band boobs hanging low. Let's hope it's a thick, thick robe. Thick robe. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Today is uh, Thursday, November 7th. We have been... Uh, Oh, we got money? We did give away the money? I didn't realize that. I did not even realize that. If you win that $1,000, well, gosh darn it, they'll call you. Golly gee. You got to answer that phone, even if it's a number you don't recognize. Here's a hot tip, by the way. It's going to be from a 513 area code, most likely. So, you got to pick up that phone if you're going to pick up 1000 bucks. Another chance to win an hour from now. In fact, we give away 1000 bucks an hour Monday through Friday from 5 in the morning through 620 right here on KFI. I was going to let you know a couple of uh, stories that we have been following through the course of today include the fact that today is the anniversary of the mass shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks. There will be a dedication uh, later on this afternoon, private ceremony earlier today for families and those 11 patrons who were killed. And, of course, the Ventura County Sheriff's Sergeant, who was also killed, Ron Helis. Yesterday, they actually named part of the 101 freeway after him. The Kincaid Fire in Sonoma County's wine country now fully contained. But the final toll in terms of properties, 174 homes, according to Cal Fire, 200 other buildings. They're saying it's still, uh, it is 100% contained. At the top of next hour, we're going to get into the story about the Saudi government trying to get information about Twitter users who were critical of the Saudi government, including um, some people with a million followers. It's pretty hefty. A news personality that may have been investigated as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, Okay. Let's talk about John Christ. John Christ is a stand-up comedian. His first appearances, he was doing some open mic nights, a bunch of different places. And he's one of those, let's see, I guess you would say he's he's the clean comedian. And a lot of times people put the label Christian comedian upon him, something that he would uh, put on himself. And just to give you an idea, kind of the material that this guy's delving into. I this Snapchat, and I was like, I got over a thousand responses of people that were things, of Christian people, the things they weren't allowed to watch as a kid. I'm going to read a couple of these to you. These are always my favorite part of the show. To keep in mind, this, I didn't write these jokes, okay? I'm, in this bit, I'm just a vessel, all right? 
these jokes. It's like, I didn't write these jokes. This bit is like a Chris Tomlin song. I didn't write it, but I'm going to capitalize on it. You know what I'm saying? Oh! I don't get that joke. Do you get that joke? That was the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on, occult, my little pony, satanic. Smurfs, communist. Okay. <laughs> Tom and Jerry, too violent. Care Bears, demonic. Okay. You get it. I mean, you get it. It's Blake, by Dude, the way. The best what? one is cat dog, not as God intended it. <laughs> That's the best one. <laughs> so you're familiar with John Chris? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you know that you look like John Christ? Yep, get it pretty much every week at church. I was just going to say, that's where you'd probably most often hear that. If you were to shave, because at least in this one, he's got very little yeah, stubble. Yeah, if, if it was trimmed up and tighter and yeah. if I made my hair higher. Yeah, and added about 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but general description, I look very similar, yeah. Well, John Christ, John Christ was accused of sexual misconduct with at least five women. And he has now publicly admitted to inappropriate relationships and treatment toward women. He just landed a Netflix special that's supposed to come out, I think, on Thanksgiving. And he admitted in a statement to Charisma News to destructive and sinful behavior. He has canceled his upcoming tour. We do not know yet what's going on with the Netflix special. Quote, Over the past number of years, various women have accused me of behavior that has been hurtful to them. While I am not guilty of everything I've been accused of, I confess to being guilty of this. I have treated relationships with women far too casually, in some cases even recklessly. My behavior has been destructive and sinful. I've sinned against God, against women, and the people I love the most. I have violated my own Christian beliefs, convictions, and values, and have hurt many people in the process. Um, there were a couple of people who said that he was manipulating women and attempting to leverage his fame, initiating sexual relationships with married women and women in committed relationships and even offering show tickets in exchange for sexual favors. Now, the first indication of all of this may have been that he and his girlfriend broke up back in September. Lauren Elena, country singer. She got her start on, um, uh, American Idol, if I'm not mistaken. He went on to say, I'm sorry for the hurt and pain I've caused these women and will continue to seek their forgiveness. The Thanksgiving Day special that's due out on Netflix is called I Ain't Praying for That. He's also got a book that's due out in March. By the way, they might want to pull that and add a little new forward to that, perhaps. He's doing the way you're supposed to do it, but he's doing this, by the way, the way you're supposed to do this, apparently. If there's a playbook for this. He has privately sought and received professional treatment for his sexual sin and addiction struggles and that he is committed to getting healing and freedom from his sin and has canceled at all future gigs until he is healthy spiritually, mentally, and physically. An account from 2017 talks about this, talks about how he would go about doing this. He would start a conversation on social media. He would flirt. And then he would get someone's private number, perhaps, and engage in sexting or other sexual activities. He agreed to do a senior project with one woman. And after admitting to the girl who idolized him uh, that, uh, that he was a sex addict. 
He allegedly asked for her number, added her on Snapchat, invited her over, got on the verge of blackout drunk before attempting to sleep with her. And she thought, this is her testimony, she thought, oh, it's okay, he's a Christian, he won't do anything inappropriate. But as he tried to grab her and tried to kiss her, he told her in crude terms how much he wanted to have sex with her in the water. And then at his apartment, again, grabbed her, crudely propositioned her for sex and begged her to stay. She was able to escape in an Uber and told her boyfriend about what happened the next morning, adding that Chris later messaged her that the previous night was the best night of his life and couldn't stop thinking of what he wanted to do to her. Uh... Netflix, again, Netflix hasn't said if they're going to go through with the release of the uh, Netflix special, I Ain't Praying for That, due out on Thanksgiving Day. Gather the family around, I suppose. I mean, it is a clean, this doesn't change that he's a clean comedian, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, this is the part I don't, I, he's privately sought and received professional treatment for his sexual sin and addiction struggles. Am I to am I to read into that that he's saying that he's a sex addict, or just the sex that he was having was sinful, and he also has addiction problems, drugs, alcohol, something like that? Because I don't think he gets to use this. The I don't think anybody should use the sex addicts thing. That's uh, come on. That's that's weak. You got to do better than that. All right, when we come back. I wanted to follow up a couple of things from the voting from this week when it comes to, uh, for example, Virginia. There is a great article that has a message, a giant warning sign for the state of Virginia that went all Democrat. Also, Donald Trump Jr. on The View. Bill Gates goes after Elizabeth Warren. And Inez de la Cutera is going to join us for the latest on the impeachment stuff where John Bolton didn't show up today. That's coming up in Swamp Watch on Gary and Shannon. Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. On this Thursday, November 7th, we're following the story about this airplane that crashed into a home in Upland, a 1200 block of West Overland Court. House that it crashed into then caught fire, and a good portion of that house is completely destroyed. Firefighters are on one of the neighbor uh, neighbor's roofs on the other side and uh, have been spraying water on this thing. It's like water and foam, actually, on this thing to try to prevent the fire from spreading to any other homes. They said that all of the occupants of the house itself are accounted for. And looks like some of the neighbors actually in the other parts of the the home from these helicopter shots are just peering over their fence to see what the heck is going on. So we'll keep an eye on that, see if we get any more information about what caused that plane to go down. At the uh, top of the hour, Alex Stone is going to join us. A couple of former Twitter employees have been charged with working with the Saudi royal family to spy on critics of the Saudi government by using their Twitter credentials. And then Strange Science coming up at 1.30 as well. But it is time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp 
Well, the impeachment inquiry rolls on. The latest no-show was former National Security Advisor John Bolton, who was invited to talk with impeachment investigators today, but was holding out for something bigger. He was holding out for a subpoena, it looks like. Inez De La Cutera once again joins us from Capitol Hill, covering the story for us and for ABC News. Inez, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, so John Bolton says thanks, but no thanks. Um, and my understanding was he was waiting. He would have preferred a subpoena so he could take it to court and see if a judge would sign off on him testifying. That's right. So John Bolton, the former national national security advisor, was scheduled to show up. We did not expect him to show up. His lawyer had said uh, that he would not appear voluntarily, but that he might comply if he was issued a subpoena. We also are seeing some reports that say that his lawyer then said that if he was issued a subpoena, he would essentially do what Charlie Kupperman did. He was another key witness who was subpoenaed, who filed a lawsuit asking the courts to decide for him whether he should listen to the White House and the White House orders uh, not to comply with the investigation or whether he should follow through with the congressional subpoena. So Charlie Kupperman had asked the, the courts to kind of decide for him there. And we were hearing or seeing reports that uh, Bolton's lawyers were indicating that they would go down that route as well if Bolton was subpoenaed. So House Democrats had decided not to subpoena Bolton. They're saying they don't want to uh, play kind of into this game. They know that uh, having to wait for the courts to decide on this and having the courts rule on whether, um, you know, con- congressional subpoenas or the White House executive privilege takes precedence, that's a process that Before could go on for next- weeks, if not months. And so and so House Democrats say they don't want to wait for that process to play out. They want to move full steam ahead with their investigation. So they're not going to subpoena John Bolton. And they say they will use his no show today as further evidence of obstruction of Congress. All right. Well, there was somebody who did show up, Jennifer Williams. Can you tell us who she is and what she might have been able to say? That's right. Yeah. So Jennifer Williams is a Pence aide. She is a key witness in that she was actually on that now infamous phone call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine that is at the center of the of this impeachment inquiry. There were lots of questions over whether she would appear because, again, the White House has ordered former and current White House officials not to comply with the investigation. And this week we saw a number of White House officials uh, be no-shows. Um, but she did appear. We do know that she was actually subpoenaed. Uh, House Democrats say they decided to subpoena her to kind of get around this, this White House um, order. Um, And she's still testifying right now behind closed doors. Uh, She will be one of the last ones to testify behind closed doors as they're going to take uh, as House Democrats are going to take the impeachment inquiry public next week. Um, So we're still waiting to to hear what she is uh, saying. But the big thing I think that Democrats are are going to want to ask her about is what she thought of the phone call, given that she was one of the few witnesses who was actually on the phone call, what her thoughts were on that phone call, and also how much uh, the vice president knew. So I think they might try to use Williams, who is a Pence aide. uh, They might try to use her to kind of get to the vice president. Side note here, and I'm just asking as a working in the business, I've seen so many different reports about, um, just as an example, and you don't have to comment on any of these stories specifically, I'll just give you the headlines, that Pence was uh, up for the idea of using the 25th Amendment to take out the president, uh, that we will see three articles of impeachment sometime rather soon, all this, with all of the things that have been going on about impeachment inquiry, the background about what's going on in Washington, D.C., how are you as a reporter keeping all of this stuff straight? 
Oh, my keeping all of it straight. Uh, I do have notes, actually. Um, just, you know, I, I keep notes every day, and then I go back to those notes if I need to to remember what, you know, maybe Sondland testified or Bill, Bill Taylor testified. Um, I will, you know, admit that it's a lot, all these pages of, of deposition transcripts to go through. Thankfully, though, at ABC, we have, you know, a whole team here, um, dozens of people splitting up this work, and then we go off of the ABC News reporting. Um, so that's certainly been a, been a huge help. It's, it's way too much for anybody to handle on their own, which is, I think, the, the, the issue here, right, with the Democrats wanting to take this inquiry public, and it's hours of depositions that we're going to see now on TV and hundreds of pages of deposition transcripts is, is too much for the average person. Um, and they run the risk here of it getting way too confusing and um, of it just being too much information for the average person. Especially since yesterday we, we mentioned this, that open hearing, you know, when we see this, this go public next week, we don't expect to see a lot of new barn burning firestorm information out of these people. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what um, House Democrats were talking about yesterday. Adam Schiff commented on that. He said, you know, they don't expect the facts to change here. And we have all these deposition transcripts now with, you know, they were all these witnesses were under oath when they testified. So presumably everything they've said are the facts. So um, what we're going to be seeing next week is really more Republicans and Democrats trying to build their case over the course. They're each going to get these 45 minute chunks to question uh, witnesses. And it's going to be Democrats and witnesses trying to bring their case to the to the American public to try. And I think in the case of Democrats, their end goal is going to be to sway the the public's opinion enough that it will pressure Republicans in the Senate to then maybe have to vote for impeachment. All right. And as thank you for your work. Appreciate it. Thank you. And as De La Coutera there from Capitol Hill, the latest on what's going on with this impeachment inquiry stuff. We come back. A familiar name, a former guy in the Trump administration is trying to get back into Congress. We'll tell you who that is. And also, Donald Trump Jr. goes on to The View in one of the more contentious versions of that uh, goofy show that we've seen in some time. We'll do that when we come back. To Gary and Shannon and Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the uh, iHeartRadio app. We're in the middle of Swamp Watch, talking about some D.C. stuff. Um, One of the things locally connected to D.C., the Democratic National Committee has decided not to hold its December debate at UCLA. We're out. Labor unions are currently engaged in fights with the university, so the senior advisor to the DNC, Mary Beth Cahill, says that they're going to find an alternate site in response to concerns raised by the local organized labor community. The sixth debate was supposed to take place at UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs. That will not be the case. I assume they'll probably still keep it somewhere here in California, but um, they are not going to do it. Not going to do it at UCLA. Uh, The former administration official trying to get back into Congress, Jeff Sessions, the former attorney general. Yeah. He's going to go into the race for his old U.S. Senate seat in Alabama, a couple of sources have said. He'll be making a return to the political stage a year after he stepped down as AG. Their relationship, of course, was uh, soured, to say the least, when he refused to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Sessions is expected to announce his candidacy sometime today. Haven't seen it yet. Just checked around and didn't see anything. Former uh, Auburn University football coach Tommy Tuberville 
said that Jeff Sessions has been out of the swamp for less than two years, and now he's itching to get back. Donald Trump Jr. made an appearance today on The View, and Whoopi Goldberg couldn't even take it in her mouth to put his name out there for everybody else. incredibly diverse points of view. After all, that's what the show is called. And we always have one goal in mind, to engage in passionate, hopefully productive conversation. Mm -hmm. And with all of that in mind, please welcome the son of the gentleman (laughs) in the White House. (laughs) DJT. And his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, they were both there. They talked about a lot of stuff. One of the issues was the pre, uh, the president's son tweeted out the alleged whistleblower's name and said he has no problem with it. I don't regret doing that. I don't regret doing it. No, I don't okay. think I should have to forego my First right, Amendment it, rights. It's out there. I read it in an article. I've been reading it for a week. I saw it on the Drudge Report. Like, this is not some secret. But to then say, because it's Donald Trump Jr., because he's an outspoken guy, to then rally, create, okay? made, why was there no outrage when Drudge Report... <laughs> Okay. Which is a major website, Calm probably down. the largest aggregator of media news mm-hmm. in America. He puts it out there a few days ago, and no crickets, no, no problem with that. Got a point there. I don't think he should have tweeted out the name, but I don't, I don't have a problem. I don't think that he can't. I mean, there's nothing, there's no law against it. If he has some belief that that's the guy who's the whistleblower, I mean, the the whistleblower laws protect them from being retaliated against. Now, the issue I do have with it is. When you publish that guy's name, what do you expect but retaliation? That's the part I didn't understand about why he would do this. Now, uh, one of the other issues uh, on this show was that Megan McCain, daughter of the late Senator John McCain, has for a long time been a pretty vocal critic of Donald Trump the person. Not necessarily Donald Trump the president, but definitely Donald Trump the person. In, if nothing else, because uh, her dad and Donald Trump had a pee-pee match going back years. And Donald Trump made it very clear he was never a fan of Senator John McCain. And went out of his way, left and right, to to do things to denigrate the name of John McCain. He was, uh, the president was refused, well, I don't want to say refused admission. He wasn't invited to any of the memorial services for John McCain. Because the family knew that there was a feud between them. Meghan McCain confronted Donald Trump Jr. Saying, I mean, she started out with some kind of half-assed attempt. You know, there used to be character in America. What happened to that? Aren't you sad about that? But then got more specific about your dad said things about my dad. Aren't you sad about that? He's a counterpuncher. And as a conservative, I would hope that you would appreciate that conservatives haven't been known for fighting back for a very long time. They've ceded ground to the liberals and the liberal elite for decades by not actually fighting back. So I understand we can keep going back to character. I, I think, think he has great character. I think my family has character. Her father. I, I understand I that, and I'm think, sorry about that. And they, think, they did have differences. I agree with that. But, but I think just... just and, I, and again, I'm sorry for the loss. I think you lost finish. your aunt uh-huh. last night, so I do apologize I for that as well. last night. Yes, I did. McCain, Morgan. Um, thank you. Uh, I just... It's just, for me... It, it would not have been worth it. This would not have been worth it. And I think people can go to the moment when my dad had stopped someone from saying Obama was a Muslim and the pain, inflicting pain on so many people wouldn't have been worth it to me or my family to the White House. So I just want to know, is it worth it? Well, listen, there, I, I think it depends on the hat that I'm wearing. You know, for me as a citizen, as a father, as a father of kids in New York City, you know, it, it hasn't exactly been, you know, peaches and cream for us either. But you know what? It is worth it. When I do go around the country, 
And I see people who are affected by these policies, who are getting to live their American dream again, who are seeing wage growth for the lowest levels go up. When I see it happening with those people, and they tell me their stories, how they're so happy mm -hmm. that they voted for my father, that they're so happy that he actually had the guts to take on those people, to not just accept the status right. quo, to not just I accept that. I think that was so. Yeah. Um, so here's what I would say. I, I understand. I know you're... By the way, the, then this is Kimberly Guilfoyle. This is Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend explaining, and by the way, who was a huge fan of John McCain. She never, she never um, made that unknown. She was very clear about her fandom, I guess, her ad admiration for John McCain. The girlfriend of the guy who was just talking. Father for uh, for so many years, <laughs> I considered him. Yes, and your grandmother, mm -hmm. and I tell you, no finer human <clears throat> being. I considered him my friend. I miss him. I understand your loss. Yesterday was the anniversary of my mother passing. I lost my father Thanksgiving night. He woke me up with a kiss and said, "Princess, I know this is a hard day for you. It breaks my heart." to hear anybody say anything about your father. I understand that. And I know how difficult it is. And I know how difficult it is for him. When his everybody is attacking his family, they're out in front of our apartment, they want to put him in jail. I, under, I understand mm -hmm. that, having lost both my parents to cancer. This is tough. I would like there to be more civility. Can someone just say they're, they're sorry? Not, they're all right, Whoopi comes in because it's always got to be about Whoopi. He had already apologized for what his father said about John McCain. The thing about this is... Uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle explaining there that Donald Trump Jr. also has slings and arrows thrown at him on a daily basis. Donald Trump Jr. does not have to be in the public eye if he doesn't want to be. Think about that. Donald Trump Jr., I think, is probably sort of grooming himself or being groomed for some sort of future in politics. I understand it. He's obviously got momentum. He and his sister and uh, I guess potentially Eric, depending on whether or not you believe the Saturday Night Live characterization of him. Uh, they could all have a future in politics. Right. And clearly he knows how to put sentences together and is well spoken at what he's saying. Um, seems a little irate about all of this. But Kimberly Guilfoyle suggesting that Donald Trump Jr. also getting the slings and arrows thrown at him and his family. Is different than the continued denigration of a dead war hero. And it bothers me that she didn't see the difference in that. I think some of the stuff that Donald Trump Jr. has gone through is ridiculous because of the, you know, you could argue that the fame broke up his family. He's got two little kids, two or three little kids, I think it is. And I understand that he thinks that this is a this is a painful thing for him. He can stay out of politics. He does not have to constantly tweet about politics. He doesn't constantly have to be at all of these rallies. He could stay out of the spotlight. He could be involved in business, which is what his job is, his day job, and stay out of all of this. I'm not saying he can't defend his father. Of course he can do that. I would encourage him to defend his father. But Meghan McCain can do the same thing. And Meghan McCain can call him out and call his father out and say, you guys were a-holes to my dad. Even while he was dying, you guys were a-holes to my dad. Now, that's not to say, again, I, I we've said this multiple times on the show, saying that you know, the argument about, uh, you know, if we bring something up and say, hey, you probably shouldn't have done that, and your argument is, yeah, well, they did it first, or they did it before I did, or that's a ridiculous argument because you're not a seven-year, you're not a four-year-old, but that's a four-year-old argument. All right, we come back. Alex Stone's going to join us. A couple of Twitter employees got in trouble for, uh, for looking up personal information about their users for the Saudi government. We'll talk about all of that. we got some strange science. Tech Talk with Mark Saltzman as well on the way on Gary and Shannon.
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Following a bunch of stories through the day today. Now they're saying that there was somebody on board that plane. The pilot actually was killed when that single-engine plane crashed into a house in Upland this morning. San Bernardino County Fire, uh, West 15th Street is where they said they saw a home. They updated that. West 15th Street where flames were seen coming out of the roof there. People who were in the home were not injured. Um, They haven't said uh, a whole lot about how many other people may have been on the plane or their conditions, but they did say that the pilot died in that crash in that home in Upland. Also, uh, later this afternoon, we're going to see a couple of different dedication ceremonies for the anniversary of the mass shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks. Eleven patrons were killed that night, and a Ventura County Sheriff Sergeant was killed. In fact, yesterday, they named part of the 101 freeway that runs right along the borderline there, Borderline Bar and Grill. They named that section of the 101 after Sergeant Ron Helis. Uh, Kincaid Fire in Sonoma County. Wine country has been fully contained. Cal Fire says the fire destroyed 174 homes, 200 other buildings, 100% containment. And I wanted to throw this in there only because I forgot to get to it in Swamp Watch. This was an article that came out uh, written by Monica Showalter. And it's it's an opinion piece, but it goes back to the Virginia elections from Tuesday. And uh, Virginia saw a sweep, the legislative sweep for Democrats. A lot of uh, they now have majorities in both sides of the Democrat. They have Governor Ralph Northam. Yes, the guy from blackface, but apparently that didn't matter. And what I thought was funny is that she wrote that if you want to go in a solid blue state like Virginia, which had previously been Republican or at least split houses. Be careful what you wish for. She went on to say it can look forward to a California model of governance, soaring crime, soaring fecal matter on the streets. Abundant needles, crooks out of jail, gun restrictions for law-abiding, tax hikes, greeny boondoggles, corruption, soaring homelessness, drugs addiction, drug addiction, and illegal immigration. And it says they might even get the blackouts going if they act fast enough. Thought that was funny. A couple of uh, former Twitter employees have been charged with working for the Saudi royal family to spy on some people. Alex Stone covering the story for ABC News and for KFI. Alex, who is it that they were supposed to be spying on? Well, critics of the Saudi royal family is at least the claim that's being made in the court documents that have been filed for the charges that have now been filed against three men, two of them Twitter employees, another who looks like was kind of the recruiter, who is a uh, a Saudi national, believed to be in Saudi Arabia right now, but the claim being that the Saudi royal family has been recruiting Twitter employees to act really as spies for the, the Saudi government, to help them crack down on critics that they had been going out since 2014, been recruiting Twitter employees. They got these two guys to do it, 135, 141, and that they were going in and really mining Twitter for whatever kind of private data they could get off of it. You'd be surprised what Twitter knows about you. And then they would pass that along to the Saudi royal family. And in many cases, and there were thousands of people, according to federal prosecutors in San Francisco, Thousands who had their data looked at by these two and passed on to the the Saudi government. But in many cases, it was critics of that government. And the belief is that that the Saudi royal family was specifically looking for those who had been critical of them and then looking for dirt on them. Uh, You mentioned the IP addresses. That would narrow down geographically, physically, where they are. Was there there an assumption that they were going to, I don't know, call for a hit on these people or... Was I mean, was that important that they were looking physically where they were? 
Well, that's one aspect of it. The uh, In the, the criminal complaint and federal prosecutors in general, they're not going down that road, not going that far to say what they were doing with this information. I mean, of, of course, we know the story of Khashoggi, and uh, there may be some link in the sense of that maybe one of the people they were looking at had been linked to, to him, that they had been very close. But in these documents, they don't talk about specific victims and the, the prosecutors in San Francisco won't talk about that either, but the information that we know from these court documents that they were getting, it was IP addresses, it was email addresses, birth dates, potentially addresses. Uh, if, if you've got that information in your Twitter profile, which it's supposed to stay private, that, that it's not something that goes out there, uh, phone numbers. So there's the potential that they get your cell phone number and then through other means that they're able to track where you are. But this was enough information, according to prosecutors and the FBI, that the Saudi royal family could then track down their critics who they were looking for, mainly with the IP addresses showing that, okay, when this person posted or when they connected to Twitter, this is where they were. That's probably the most damning piece of information there, of data that they could have used. But there was all kinds of stuff that Twitter knows about you, that they keep in private, but that, that some Twitter employees can get to. Uh, any suggestion that this may have extended to other social media sites? And nothing that we know of right now. Uh, the, the case is specifically against these two Twitter employees. Twitter has come out and said that these were bad actors, that they know that the, the foreign government said that there are many that, that would uh, try to utilize tools like what Saudi Arabia was allegedly doing here. That they, uh, Twitter is saying they have tools in place to protect privacy, that it is, according to the company, very small group of employees that have access to your private data beyond what the public can see in your profile. And they say that they're taking action to try to limit that down so that, that there aren't as many folks that, that do have access to that. But bottom line, if you work for a social media company, there are going to be people who are going to have access into accounts that may have private information that isn't out there publicly, and how do you limit that? And the social media companies have to figure that out. It's against the rules at Twitter. It's against the rules at probably pretty much any social media company to get into that data and then to share it with anybody. But in this case, these two guys allegedly were being paid big money. They were being paid in gifts as well, watches, other things, that they had a whole other life going off of this stolen intelligence that they were able to get and it was working for them for a couple of years. But now they're looking at serious charges, looking at, at prison time, and uh, Twitter says that they've shut it down. All right, Alex, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, here. Alex Stone there with the latest. Again, these uh, two Twitter employees charged with working for the Saudi royal family to spy on critics of the Saudi government by looking into their uh, by using their Twitter credentials to find out private information about these Twitter users. All right, we come back. Speaking of... Uh, Mark Saltzman is going to join us for our uh, weekly tech talk. A couple things to do with your phone if you're going to be traveling, by the way. Some of the tech that you can take along and make your travel that much easier. Gary and Shannon will continue. we got a chance to win 1000 bucks coming up. We'll tell you about our big news for tomorrow and more about the Postathon, the date that's been set. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need you. I need it. I need it. Need it. Need it. I need you. Don't forget.
Pick up a thousand bucks. You got to answer that phone call. Hot tip: that number will likely be coming from a five one three area code. Another chance to win an hour from now. Chance to win a thousand bucks an hour Monday through Friday, five in the morning through six twenty, right here on KFI. Bottom of the hour, we'll get into strange science and a weird tech story as well that kind of gets into science. James Dean is returning to the big screen. Jason Nathanson is going to join us to talk about it. But first, it's time for Tech Talk. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. And to help us uh, get through the mire that is the world of technology is our friend Mark Saltzman, who joins us every Thursday at about this time. Mark, thanks for joining us once again. And thank you for having me. Happy Thursday. Thank you very much. Uh, or as got... they say, Little little Friday, as they say on social media. Oh, Happy boy. Little Friday. Nobody says that. <laughs> and if they do, they should be taken out and uh, beaten. <laughs> I uh, think people are just a little like, excited for the weekend. <laughs> They're trying any way they can to get closer to Friday. Uh, all right. Let's talk about holidays are coming up. A lot of people travel for the holidays and obviously technology you can use it it can make things a lot easier but there are some mistakes that you would want people to try to avoid yeah especially when it comes to technology using our tech that we do as often as we do Uh, i wrote this piece for usa today last week on five mistakes that we tend to do when we travel that we tend to make so number one is avoid posting your photos to social media to to travel brag as it's called to 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 say hey i'm away um this is my lunch in you know mexico or this is what my hotel looks like in jamaica yes i know you want to show your friends where you are but you are also advertising that your house is empty Okay, so just wait until you get back, because there was another story last week. Somebody in Arizona came back to an empty house, totally cleaned out, and they (laughs) realized that they were posting to Instagram. And even if you think you know who all your friends are, there's not it's not to say that somebody, a buddy of yours who is a legitimate friend in your small community on Facebook, for example, that didn't leave his, you know, website open at work. And then someone said, oh, I guess so-and-so's away. And then they, you know, so just don't do it. Second tip, don't use public Wi-Fi hotspots. Again, it's always in the news. You are more likely to be attacked by a cyber thief if you use free public Wi-Fi. So use instead your cellular connection because uh, hopefully you've got a good data plan and then you roam on that. It's a lot more secure using your phone to, you know, wirelessly connect your laptop to. If you are going to log into a website uh, that's free, like at a coffee shop or at an airport, double check with the uh, facility that it is the legit Wi-Fi network of that place. And then just keep your your tasks to basic stuff like streaming the news and all that, uh, you know, reading the news. Don't, uh, you know, do online banking. And use a VPN on your laptop, a free virtual private network tool, so a piece of software that keeps your web browsing anonymous. Third tip to uh, minute, traveling I, safe. Just quickly yeah, about yeah, sure, that yeah. in terms of using the VPN. If I'm using the VPN, it's still not a great idea for me to check into my bank account or credit card statement or anything like that, right? Well, I would still err on the side of caution and not do it on a public Wi-Fi hotspot. However, you are masking your online activity when you use a VPN, but you are putting yourself more at risk by doing any kind of financial transaction, even with a VPN. Wait till you're at home on your own private Wi-Fi, presumably with a good password, or use your cellular connection. Pull out your your phone and do your online banking over cellular, not Wi-Fi, and that is a lot safer. Got it. 
Yeah. The third thing that we should keep in mind is be smart with your smartphone. Um, make sure you've got a pin code. I saw a friend uh, last week who still does not want to set up face ID <laughs> or anything on their phone because they think it's a pain in the you know what. But to me, there's just so much that you're you're risking if you lose your phone or if it's stolen because someone can just access everything. So a thumbprint or your face scan is the most convenient. Make sure you do that. And, and also back up your important files to the cloud in case your phone is lost, stolen, or damaged while you're traveling. Uh, so that includes, you know, like a, those free services like OneDrive or, or Google Drive or Dropbox or what have you. Just back up everything, including a copy of your passport, a scan of it, by the way. Uh, so those are just a couple. We don't have to go through all of them, but uh, yeah, I wrote this piece for USA Today on how, you know, the mistakes that we're typically making when we travel. November is the official kickoff of the holiday season with Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. So just be, just try to be a little cyber smart when you're traveling. I wanted to mention one because I thought it was unique. It's not unique. It's that it's uh, kind of a throwback to 10 or 15 years ago. And it was later in the article and it was the privacy shield on the laptop, which I thought was funny. You see it in the, uh, you know, the little catalogs that you get in the seat backs in the airplanes. But nobody uses them. But nobody uses them. <laughs> right, yeah. If you work, I would say, if you work at a company that has sensitive information, then it's not a bad idea whether you're given it to you at work or you choose to pick one up on Amazon for five bucks or ten bucks. And it's basically, it looks, your screen looks black to any over the shoulder snoopers. You know, just try to, you know, again, there are people, I see it all the time. I travel all the time, as you know, Gary. So I see people's screens, like in, you know, on the airplane seat in front of me very, very clearly. And then sometimes I don't want to see <laughs> the good, the seeing, bad, and the ugly. Myself. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, all, all right. right. So, yeah, some tips. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is this uh, this Facebook's Portal TV. Uh, and, yeah. And, and what yeah. this is and what it does, it doesn't seem like it's new technology. Facebook seems to be a little bit behind the curve on this. It's actually a really good product. So there's a portal family of video devices. So some are standalone screens. There's a 10-inch screen, a portal that has built-in Alexa, by the way. So it's a smart speaker, and you can video chat with your friends on Facebook and WhatsApp. There's a 15.6-inch version, which is a little bit more vertical. And yes, it, it also has a built-in camera. But the Facebook TV, it's only 149 and it, it is basically a webcam that you connect to your TV with an HDMI cable, and it allows you to engage in video chats with your online friends as well. So, you know, it's just, I, I know that there are a few other products like it, and as you said, they're not really pushing the envelope when it comes to technology, but it actually works quite well. There's like face scanning and um, tracking, so when you move around, it follows you. It's really easy to make calls. It's one of those things that you may want to consider picking up for your aging relative who maybe lives alone, you know, an aging parent or grandparent, because it's uh, really easy to just log in, make a free phone call uh, over Wi-Fi, uh, so there's no cost in, involved with any of that, and it just works really well. There's a, a little remote that you get with it but um it's a product that's getting really good reviews i've had some hands-on time with it um so i really like it it's a it's a got 120 de uh, 120 degree field of view so it's got like a nice you know you can have the family if you will sitting beside each other on the sofa or on the couch and chatting with mom or dad somewhere else uh, through your tv so you see who you're talking to on the tv but they see you through the camera isn't so, that you know yeah. 40 years ago 50 years ago video chatting was really sort of a sign of what the future would be but i don't know yeah. any i don't know anybody who has one of these i mean outside of everyone has you know facetime or or skype or whatever on their phones usually but i don't know anybody who's got a, a actual tool a device in their home mm -hmm. like this at least not yet 
So I would agree with you that using your phone is probably a lot more convenient because you have it with you wherever you go and you don't need to buy anything separate. Your phone already has a front-facing camera and a microphone, right? But uh, And then next to that, your your computer or maybe a standalone device for your kitchen. So I, I agree with you that I don't think we're sitting in front of the TV as much, but it's part of the entire family. It's the whole portal family from Facebook. Uh, again, ranging in price from 149 up to 279 for the new 15.6-inch one with Alexa built in. Um, in, di- in different colors, by the way. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's, I think, again, for that aging relative who may be spending a little bit more time in front of the TV, it's a bit of a stereotype, but mm-hmm. it may be more easy for them to use something like that than a smart speaker in a kitchen or a, a, an iPad or something. Yeah. Mark, thank you for your time once again. Likewise. Thanks for having me. You bet. And you can follow Mark, of course, on Twitter, Mark with a C underscore Saltzman. And we'll make sure that we throw the links up, including the uh, the travel and how to avoid big mistakes when it comes to technology. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk with Jason Nathanson, some strange science slash technology story. Is it time to resurrect some of our dead Hollywood favorites like James Dean? That's coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on this Thursday, November 7th. John Bolton was a a no-show today, Uh, a no-show at the whole uh, testifying in front of the impeachment inquiry. There was an advisor to Mike Pence who did show up. She was apparently in on that July 25th phone call, so she was meeting with uh, with House investigators today. Next week, of course, is the big week when we start to see some of these hearings take place in public. The president also fighting what he said was a fake news bombshell about Attorney General William Barr. The Washington Post reported yesterday, and a couple of other places have picked up on this story, Washington Post said that the president asked William Barr to hold a press conference to clear his name when it came to conduct on Ukraine, but that the Attorney General refused to do so. Now, the president did go on to say uh, that the that Attorney General William Barr never refused to do so, which is not what he, he – if he wanted to say he didn't ask him, that would be one thing. But he said he re, did not refuse to hold that news conference. The Department of Justice did, by the way, look into the phone call, and they already came out with several weeks ago an opinion that the president did not violate any campaign finance law when he made the request of uh, President Zelensky to investigate corruption. All right. Series of a uh, couple of cool sciencey stories that are here. And we do strange science every Thursday at this time. Strange science. It's alive. It's like weird science, but strange. And this is uh, sciencey and uh, technologically advanced at the same time. And dash in a little bit of the entertainment industry. And that's why we have. Our little dash, Jason Nathanson, who's going to join us to talk about this. Uh, Jason, it turns out that James Dean is back in a new movie. Yeah, how this did, is weird. How did they do this? 
So he died in 1955 at the age of 24. Of course, he only did three movies uh, that he was. He did some other very small parts, but three movies is what he was known for. And we got word yesterday that these producers and directors and technology people are bringing him back for a movie called Finding Jack. It's a Vietnam era movie, and he's going to play what we're told is a secondary lead role. And what they're going to do is using CGI and using images that they have of him already and photographs and computers and everything. They're going to recreate James Dean. James Dean will be the actor who fills this role. It's a live-action movie. It's not an animated movie. It's not a completely computer-generated movie. He'll be with other live actors, and they're going to make this computer-generated version of James Dean. Another actor will voice the part, but when you're looking at the character on screen, it's going to look like James Dean just playing this character and they had to have his family sign off on this and they did and so they're doing this all you know all above board but a lot of people are kind of freaked out by it okay the only time i know of this happening is when someone dies either in mid-production or in the middle of a large franchise star wars is a great example but also paul walker dying uh during the furious and uh, fast and furious franchise still in production so those I even uh, Sopranos to go as far back as the Sopranos when Mom died and they had to use uh you know they had to put kind of machine some pieces together to make her look like she was alive, but right. But that's that, all of that is kind of different than what they're actually doing here. And the, t- the technology has been moving towards this for in a couple of recent movies that we've seen Gemini Man with Will Smith, where it's basically a computer generated younger version of him. And they use computers basically to make this younger version of Will Smith acting against himself. And then we've seen in The Irishman and some other films how they've taken Robert De Niro and made him much younger and Joe Pesci and made him much younger and used that kind of makeup. And, and if, but it's a lot of it is computer-generated effects. So they're combining those types of things to make a brand-new character. Where it, whereas in uh, with Star Wars and with Sopranos and stuff, they used footage that they had and some body doubles and then some tricky camera angles and things like that to make it seem like the person was there or, or had more to do with the scene than they actually did. Here, they're completely creating a new character out of whole cloth and computers and using it that way, which in a way that they never really have before. And a lot of people feel this is opening a Pandora's box because then they can bring anybody back. In the, in the press release for this, and this was a story broken by The Hollywood Reporter, by the way, in that story, Story, the uh, C, one of the CEOs or one of the uh, the people who represent Dean's family, one of the agents, says this opens up a whole new opportunity for many of our clients who are no longer with us. And those clients include Burt Reynolds, Christopher Reeve, uh, Neil Armstrong, Betty Davis, Jack Lemmon. I mean, can you imagine all of these people coming back and they're getting parts in movies that they never said yes to, but because the family said okay and. and in Dean's case, it's 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 an interesting thing because you would think families of a lot uh, these other people are maybe a little more protective of their family member because they're the son or daughter or wife or they're very close to them. In Dean's case, he was 24 when he died. He didn't have any kids. He didn't have a wife. So the people saying yes in this case are very distant relatives of him. So they might not be as protective. They might just be out to make a buck. Uh, I would imagine that the union might have a problem with this eventually because, I mean, he's not going to be credited in this movie. Like you said, it's going to be, you know, somebody else's voice and all that. But would the union step in and say you can't use dead people's likenesses? 
That's a very good question and something that they're going to have to – I mean, we're entering a very new frontier here and something that everybody's going to have to kind of grapple with because, you know, when when – when I saw movies like Gemini Man with Will Smith um, and then some of the Irishman stuff, part of me thought, well, we might get to the point where we don't need hackers anymore, that they can just computer generate all these people. And maybe, you know, you have, you, you have to sign off and get permission uh, if you're using the likeness of a, of a famous person. But, you know, if they're creating a new kind of character, then maybe they don't need them. So we're entering a very strange new world here. But a lot of, and like I said, a lot of people not happy with the whole thing. Uh, uh, the Chris Evans, who plays uh, Captain America, he tweeted out that this is just, you know, absolutely wrong and weird and terrible. Um, And some other actors have spoken up against it, too. So we'll see where this goes from here. But it it seems like it could open a whole new thing where you could have a lot of these people come back in really kind of creepy ways. Awesome, Jay. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Jason Nathanson there with the latest. And again, this movie is called Finding Jack. And James Dean is said to be in a secondary lead role in the pro. Well, I, it's not even right to say James Dean would be the re- the news release. The Hollywood Reporter put it that way, but this is really finger quotes James Dean that's going to be playing the secondary character. It's going to be it's going to look like him. I don't know if it's going to sound like him. I couldn't. I don't remember what he sounded like in Giant or East of Eden or Rebel Without a Cause. I don't know. We come back. I got to tell you about a DJ. The the thing that makes this a strange science story is that this DJ, Nico DeMarco, fourth generation deaf person, but a DJ. Explain how he gets. Anyway, the whole thing. When we come back to Gary and Shannon. When it comes to you, no, I ain't got no patience. Something about you, girl, I just can't find. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I think uh, Shannon's going to be a wonder tomorrow. What time, Nick, what time does she get in? At 2? 2.30. something like that? Yeah. She may just come right here and sleep at the pulpit. What did she tell me? You might wake her up when you uh, when you come in. She's uh, in Oakland for the uh, Chargers game, Chargers and Raiders tonight. I am the Marshawn Lynch of radio. She said, P.S. I'm getting home at 2.30 a.m., so I'm going to be a real treat manana. <laughs> yeah, those are the good days. Um, can I ask a quick question? Syntactically, was that an actual P.S. to something, or did she? that was just the first text? P.S. Uh, no, we were talking. Well, I sent her a picture of a sleeve of crackers that I ate the entire thing because we like crackers. And I said, <laughs> I ate this entire sleeve of crackers. And she said, what kind were they? So we were talking about crackers, and then uh, and then she said she was getting home really late. Okay. So that's was the conversation. Ninth annual KFI Pastathon is coming up on uh, Friday, December sixth, and we'd love to see you out once again at the Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove. And we're letting you know now, so that if you're one of those uh, people or groups or teachers or whatever that wants to start gathering donations now of pasta or sauce. We will have all of the information up soon about where it is that you can donate that stuff and more information about the event itself. But again, it's going to be Friday, December 6th at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for our annual Pastathon to benefit 
Katarina's Club. All right. So this is a strange science story. And the only reason it's uh, science-y is because of how all of this works. Nico DeMarco is a DJ. Um, Stands behind a turntable on an elevated stage at Red Rocks. That's a restaurant in the D.C. area, I guess, uh, H Street neighborhood. And it's Friday night. Floor's crowded. The wobble is is playing by VIC. And he's mouthing the lyrics, right? Um, the thing is, Nico is deaf. He's a fourth-generation deaf person. Like, deafness is in his family. Everybody in his family is deaf. He says he used to get into the car with his older brother, Neil, his twin brother, Niall, Neil, Niall, and Nico, and they would beg their mom to turn up the radio on full blast, not necessarily so that they could hear it, but so that they could feel it, right? Deaf people can enjoy music as well. The question is, how do you then get into DJing parties? He went to college, a music lover, and left college a DJ. He would DJ parties with his MacBook while he was a student at Gallaudet University. And then Shazam debuted in 2008, changed that game even further because he could hold up a song or hold up the phone while a song was playing. And Shazam, now there's a bunch of places that will do it, but Shazam would identify this thing for him within seconds and show him the lyrics, which is weird because he wasn't hearing all of the lyrics. He was just hearing the beats. Music, they said, has become an even part of life for him since he graduated. There's a device that people can wear on their backs that will help transmit music vibrations into their body. He doesn't have one, but he did invest in subwoofers to get the music going in his apartment. And when he takes that same system out at clubs, he says, if I turn it on, you're going to feel it. The whole body is going to feel your rhythm. So hold on a second. How do you... How do you make a request? If this guy's doing a wedding DJ gig, how do you walk up and request the chicken dance or whatever people do at the weddings now? You can lean in, and he'll pull out his phone, and he'll do the little typing thing on his phone and show you, telling you to type out the request on your phone so that he can read it. Gallaudet University actually anchors one of the largest communities of deaf and hard-of-hearing people in the entire country. There are deaf-owned businesses in the neighborhood surrounding Gallaudet University. Many bars and restaurants actually make special efforts to include and support deaf and hard-of-hearing employees and customers. At an event at Red Bear Brewing earlier this year, people in the crowd like Josh Baker and Kelsey Dwyer were surprised to find out that the DJ, Nico DeMarco, up at the top of the stage there, was deaf. It's not like any different experience from the listener perspective. He's obviously doing an awesome job, they said. So I think that's pretty cool. And he likes Wobble from VIC, which is also a very special song in my heart. Why can't I push that? Hey, what's up? What are you doing? What's up? What do you say? What do you know? Oh, you know, just staring out at the concrete monstrosity that is the Oakland Coliseum, oh. a stadium of our youth. Would you do me a favor? Would you would you traipse around the tunnels and see if you can find any of that infield dirt that they scraped off of there? Because that is historic. That'll never happen again. I know. I know. I will bring you back some dirt. Um, also, maybe some sewage or E. coli, because those have been two issues that we've had here at the Coliseum over the years as well. Don't tease me. 
<laughs> hey, I'm sorry about not being there today. I well, should have. Uh, I should have been there. Why? There's no way you would make it in time for a game in Oakland if you left here at two. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, now that I think about I've it, reports that you've been hating on me for two days. <laughs> no, my answer. The question is, hey, where's Shannon? And I say, well, she's in. She's going to Oakland for the football game. And they said, Oakland, California. And I'd say, yes, but she had to ride her bike the whole way. That's why she left on Wednesday. Yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. That was poor planning. Uh, one of my favorite things about this stadium is a big sign in one of the end zones that says pride and poise. Like, what <laughs> worst stadium would you put those words? That's like that's like putting it in Philadelphia. Like, there is no pride here. Yeah. There is no poise. These people just egged our bus, okay? The, the bus that the players just rode in on is dripping with egg. They egg buses here. They throw batteries at the players. There is no pride. There is no poise. That's like putting up a good remember your manners banner in Philadelphia. Right. All right. Well, kickoff is at 520 tonight, Chargers and Raiders. And then you're back on a plane and you got to come back in and come to work tomorrow, right? Oh, I'm going to be a real treat tomorrow. I'm going to get home at about 2.33 a.m. So get ready for that joy. That's a normal Thursday then. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Nick said he's looking at mimosa menus, seeing if maybe we can yes. uh, get something going tomorrow. Preach. <laughs> you can also just come in and, and sleep at the foot of the pulpit tomorrow. He'll wake you up gently. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Have fun. Thanks, man. You bet. Shannon's up there, of course, in Oakland, getting ready for the Chargers-Raiders game. Kickoff is at 520. The John and Ken Show is up next. We'll see you tomorrow. All of us will see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Well, that's all the time we have. Join us next time on... Gary and Shannon.